When it comes to medicine, social media can be a double-edged sword. On one hand, it serves as a great place for patients and physicians alike to interact about important issues. On the other, it's easy for unqualified people to spread misinformation that can bait others into angry responses. Respond in ways that are respectful, that provide information that's accurate. And I think that you know, that's probably the best strategy, but not to sort of shoot from the hip and respond to somebody and also recognize when you're getting dragged into a, into a spat that you're not gonna change somebody else's opinion. Um, you don't want them to sort of muddy your reputation by letting you kind of get to your worst self. That's Jean M. Farnan, MD, MHPE. In part two of this episode of Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association, Dr. Farnan is joined by Michael Metzner, MD, to discuss topics such as online doctor ratings, anti-vaccine attacks on social media, celebrity doctors, and more. I'm your host, Todd Unger, Chief Experience Officer at the American Medical Association. Here's part two of the discussion. For Dr. Metzner, how would you, this is just kind of a fun one, how off, like when, when you get presented with a script for Grey's Anatomy, like how, how bad is it before you get your hands on it and like fix it? <laughs> so it depends on what part of the equation I get involved. So a lot of times our medical team, we're Dr. No. Uh, we, I mean, it, it's hilarious. Sometimes you'll just get a writer who's like, oh, they did a head transplant and it just was amazing and they can walk and all of a sudden we're like, uh, no, that, that's, that's not actually, that didn't happen. Uh, that was an article that's just fabricated. Uh, so it really depends. Um, most of the time I'm actually in the writer's room or we have a doctor who's in the writer's room and as we develop these character stories, we're there to kind of tailor specific medicine that we want to tell that, that we want to parallel the story that we're trying to tell. For instance, I had a writer who came to me and said, okay, Michael, the theme of this episode is unhinged. Go. And I'm like, okay, a wandering spleen because it's unhinged from the abdominal wall and it can just kind of go everywhere. And they're like, okay, we need to make it more dramatic. So, so I was like, okay, well, it, it happens more in pregnancy. Perfect. Okay, let's make it even more. I said, okay, well, one of the complications from wandering spleen is you can get splenic torsion. Okay, can we kill the mom and save the baby? <laughs> All right, so you have splenic torsion, which then detorses, weakens the arterial wall, and then you have a rupture, a splenic rupture. And that's the point where we create that. <laughs> and uh, and th that actually was just this past season. And it was actually based on a case that I had done uh, in San Antonio. Uh, this specific case was actually on a child, but um, that's kind of the process. Now, a lot of times I'll get a script, and of course, none of these writers are doctors. So they'll go, Teddy Medical Medicals, <laughs> uh, as they have this conversation about who's dating who. And so it's my job to figure out, okay, what could they be medicaling uh, that actually medically makes sense uh, while they're having all these in-depth, dramatic conversations. So it depends on the writer, too. Some writers are like, I want it to be 100% accurate. Others, I give my advice, and they're like, well, that's, that's not what we want to go for. But actually, Grace. Grey's Anatomy does a great job. Um, I've worked on other shows, 
It's yeah. not as accurate, yeah. and they don't really care about what a consultant has to say. So we try our best. Also in this digital age, where everyone's their own doctor on Google, everyone's their own MD, people can easily find ratings on mm. individual doctors' practices or individual doctors. How do you separate? What do you do with that? There's been several um, several different class action lawsuits that are against uh, several of these different sort of health grades and, and other um, other agencies because it really is, I mean, very much, you know, once thing, something's out there, it's sort of out there. And I think it's really important um, to be proactive about knowing what's out there about you. Um, and so, you know, routinely, like, you know, this is why we encourage our students, we encourage students generally to, you know, have social media profiles that will rise to the top of a, a Google search. I mean, I use Google like a verb, although I don't know that anyone's using Bing. Sorry, Microsoft. Um, but, you know, the idea where you would have like a LinkedIn profile, a professional profile, something where when someone does look you up, that is what kind of rises to the top. And then also looking and, and seeing whether or not there are any kind of correctable information that you can intervene upon, like specifically around some of the, the health grades or the, the um, websites that do rate physicians. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of back and forth in that sort of space about, you know, trying to, how do you validate those how do you I mean some of the for example some of the the websites will list home addresses as opposed to like a hospital or a clinic address and so really trying to figure out and correct information if you can a lot of it is it's just like Yelp right you can't some of these businesses can't control you know one reviewer puts something on there and they're sort of trying to you know drum up other positive reviews to kind of dilute that out you know people have done but I also think that there are some litigation that are active right now about you know individual physicians who've gone after these because they can't you know none of it is really none of it's identifiable right you can't you're not going to go back and like trace somebody's IP address and make sure that this is a patient that you've actually treated so I think it's a really it's a very interesting space because I do think that there is very much consumer side of medicine that we need to be aware of but I also think it's a matter of protecting your um, your identity and what's out there. I think this is one that both of you could touch on. Um, as a resident or an attending, how do you cope with anti-vaccine attacks on social media? <laughs> how do you balance professionalism and health education when your emotions are charged, as they are for many people when discussing that topic? So I, I think number one is to exhale before you send you put anything out there. Um, I uh, I have a shirt that I wear that says vaccines causes vaccines cause adults, um, and people always stop and kind of read it several times. Um, but I mean I think it's really interesting. There are a lot of very active uh, folks on specifically on Twitter that are very much um, you know trying to kind of rage against the anti-vax community. Um, I do think, I mean, many of you you're all probably have some sort of social media presence. You, sometimes fighting with a troll is going to get you nowhere. Um, and so I think you have to be very thoughtful about, you know, how you engage. And again, recognizing that your response as, as you know, however passionately you feel about that, obviously all of us in the room who are physicians, we feel very strongly about vaccination um, and its safety and trying to debunk a lot of what's out in the media that has been perpetuated by celebrity and by misinformation. Um, but I do think that, you know, before, you know, you always kind of pause before posting anything um, because I do think that you want to make sure that the way you are representing yourself is a way that, you know, you have to step back. And, you know, we, we sort of think about like what I want, you know. What do I want my, you know, my future program director to see my response to this individual? Would I want a patient to see how I've responded? So I think, you know, approaching it like you would for those of you who are students, any difficult patient encounter that you've been educated to, you know, to, to deal with and really just, again, 
you know, respond in ways that are respectful that provide information that's accurate. And I think that, you know, that's probably the best strategy, but not to sort of shoot from the hip and respond to somebody and also recognize when you're getting dragged into a into a spat that you're not going to change somebody else's opinion. Um, you don't want them to sort of muddy your reputation by letting you kind of get to your worst self. This is actually a topic that I'm trying to work on. Uh, <laughs> for possible upcoming seasons. Um, it, is, it is a topic that I think is really important, especially now when we have measles outbreaks and things that we really shouldn't be having in this country. Um, I, just to kind of reiterate what's already been said, I think the biggest thing is not to inflame your emotions. That's so easy for us to do. And just, you know, we have to kind of, it kind of goes back to balance and taking that just exhale and uh, look at what the evidence supports and that's kind of what I always just try and stand on is what the, what the science shows. What are medical professionals obligations towards endorsements on social media and like conflicts of interest and full disclosure uh, before yeah providing medical services or yeah, and endorsing a product. That's really, really important. And I think that conflict of interest is something that, um, as trainees, you all probably don't have a, a lot of experience with, but you will as you, as you go through training. And I think that conflict around whether you are working with a pharmaceutical company or a device company, um, I think is really important to disclose. And I think that um, you know, having to think about you know, the, the advice that you are giving, you know, are you giving it in the, again, what role are you giving it in? Are you giving it in an individual who's doing work in a specific area that has a specific expertise about a, a specialty or a diagnosis? Or are you giving it as somebody who has a financial or research interest in a product or a device or, or a medication? Um, it can become very sticky. And I think that the, the problem, I mean, not to use kind of like an old kind of adage, but you know, a, a few bad apples can spoil the bunch. And I do think that there are individuals who leverage their social media presence to, um, to advertise for products that they support or that they get direct financial or other kinds of compensation from. So I think it's always best to be sort of full disclosure about, you know, I do these things, I do this work in this area, because then you're really sort of protected, uh, you know, on the back end of being perceived as somebody who's trying to kind of subtly encourage something that you are personally a part of. Curated from more than 3,000 major newspapers, magazines, and journals, the AMA Morning Rounds newsletter delivers the top stories in healthcare right to your inbox Monday through Friday. Subscribe today and check out all the AMA's free newsletters at ama-assn.org slash myinbox. That's ama-assn.org slash myinbox. What are effective ways to counter misinformation? Is it worth engaging or do we ignore? Does engaging draw more attention and further the sense that the me medical profession is attacking? So again, I think this comes down to, I mean, with, with our job being storytellers, as long as you're rooted in scientific evidence, in my mind, and I can go to sleep at night, and I know that you know we're we're trying to portray to the best of our ability of something that's scientifically validated. That's what's most important to me. I mean, we try to. Well, we are a political show, but we we won't 
get into that specifics, but we, you know, we do, we try to portray these characters in ways that has balance. You know, if you look in the history of Greys, we have both sides of the coin. And I think that, again, as long as that we keep it as close to scientifically accurate as possible, then we're doing our job correctly. Yeah, I mean, I think Mike has really the right answer is that you have to use evidence. And I guess it depends on what you are believing your expertise is in and what inaccuracy that you are correcting. Like if somebody is, and again, is it worth it, right? Are you going to get into some flame war with somebody who is not, I mean, not going to listen regardless of what you're saying? And also, how confident do you feel in your expertise around that specific area? Because I do think that if you... Um, post or reply as, you know, like, I believe X, Y, and Z, and, and you're not necessarily sure of the evidence, and I think you open yourself up to attack. That being said, I think that if there is an issue and somebody is raising and you feel comfortable doing it in a way that doesn't sort of fan the flames of something, then I think, you know, students should feel open to say, actually, you know, this is what's happened in my experience. Now, as students, your experience is potentially more limited, um, but I do think there's a pretty robust community that's present, at least um, you know, on Twitter and other places that, that will be, I think, supportive of folks who kind of start that conversation. Thanks. Dr. Metzner, what are your thoughts on other celebrity doctors and the impact oh. that they have on public health? Something like Dr. Oz. Oh, man. So this is, you know, this has been, within the medical community, this has actually been a pretty large issue. I know that Dr. Oz has come under a lot of flack as being a good example where now truthfully being in Hollywood and seeing how these things actually come about, I'll tell you right now, Dr. Oz doesn't make those decisions. Yes, he is the personality and it is his name, but he has people behind him who are executive producers and producers who actually make the decisions and networks. And at the end of the day, they want viewers. And it kind of comes back to the idea that, that that's kind of the issue with you know medicine on these, these media platforms that have such an impact, you know, where they will have some pyramid scheme kind of company come and say, oh, this is gonna cure your Alzheimer's and buy this product. And true, Dr. Oz has to agree to have his name be portrayed, and I think that that's kind of come back and within the medical community uh, has not been really taken very well. Um, but it, again, it comes, it comes back to having evidence-based information. And there are a lot of places you can turn on the television and see falsified information. And it is, it is an issue. And, you know, Facebook also, you know, with different things that have happened in the last couple of years, there's a lot of falsified information going out there. So it's kind of hard to discern what is right and what is wrong. And um, I'm sure you have a lot to say about this topic because it's, it's really hard to navigate, even being in this business. You know, you just do the best that you can. And it's just so hard to regulate something that is free speech, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, and definitely not my area of expertise. I will keep my personal views about Dr. Oz completely quiet. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I do think one very interesting thing that, that medical television and medical celebrity has really impacted, um, and this would be more acutely affecting those of you in the audience uh, who are students and residents, is the public's view of training and what their perception is of what it's like to become a physician. Um, and when you think about, you know, shows like The Resident, um, and, you know, house, like, I mean, right, house is great, right? It's fun TV, but, you know, that's not how any of it works. It's sort of like that commercial where it's like, none of this works, that's not how it works. Um, and so I think that, you know, the, the, the general public really gets a very skewed idea of what training in medicine really is like. And so I think there's, there is definitely that part of it where I think the, the general community, the lay public who has very little connection to medicine or medical training really gets a very skewed understanding of what it's like to be a resident. Or even, you know, if your non-medical normal friends who aren't medical students, um, you know, they, that's true though, right? Like yeah. normal, there's normal people and then there's all of us. Um, and, um, you know, there's a very skewed idea of what it, what, it, what it is like to become a physician and kind of what it is once you're there. So I think it's, it's definitely very interesting. I mean, if you think back even pre all of your birth and mine included, right? Like Marcus Welby and Quincy and all of these other medical shows back then which portrayed physicians much differently than they do now. Um, and so I think it's been a very interesting evolution. Yeah, like my favorite is when you see on Grey's when the resident comes in at 10, like it's, right. it's right. the sun's out, number right. one, <laughs> and they're just strolling with their right. cup of right. coffee and they're having this amazing conversation. Right. I'm like, I want that. Right. Or, you know, I always get this, do residents really have that much sex? Right. Like, you know, with the nurses and all that stuff. And yeah, that is right. kind of the issue right. with these kind of shows. It does give this conceived notion because again if you're not in medicine you're you just no taking idea. that as right. fact right exactly. and yes there are a lot of time again it, it's that balance between reality and mm -hmm. what how are you going to make a show that's made over four billion dollars for a network absolutely home genetic testing kits like 23andme ancestry.com we've all seen all the commercials for it encourages everybody and their mother to go out and get their genetic testing done uh, they produce a disease risk profile for patients so what's the best way to use these products or to counsel patients on how to use them? What is your experience with these? Well, uh, if you watch the season, we actually had one of our characters do one of these, oh, wow. and then they find their uh, mother who uh, had the child and then actually dropped her off at a firehouse five days later. So she, she never knew who her family was. Um, you know, it's one of those things that Personally, I've done it. Um, I think it's an interesting piece of information, but I think the thing that physicians, and it's really our job, is to kind of counsel those patients of what that actually means, and it's not definitively 100%. You know, again, it's, it's back to the facts. These are kind of looking at statistical values of how your genes relate to other people with those genes. Yeah, and, and I think that there's, I mean, I have not a ton of experience in this area, but just you know, having read some of the literature, I think one thing that is, you know, you have to remember at the end of the day that these are for-profit companies, right? And so, you know, Ancestry.com, 23andMe are now advertising direct to you, you know, like so say you did your, your genetic profile and you find out that like part of you is, I don't know, Scottish. Like randomly now you're gonna get all kinds of stuff from their now travel arm that's gonna say, go back and travel to Scotland and learn about your ancestry. And so, 
which is true. It's absolutely true. Ancestry is doing it, and so is 23andMe. And so it's clearly a there is a for-profit angle and arm to these um, to these products. And I do think that you know people are very you know people are very very protective and understanding of their own data and identity. And I don't think anyone really has any idea about what one's rights become once you sort of turn over your genetic material to a for-profit company and who is that information. I mean, talking about Facebook earlier and obviously the data breach and all kinds of you know issues around data. You know what happens and uh, you know, will insurance companies have access to your, you know, materials where they find out that you have a genetic risk for inflammatory bowel disease or Huntington's or something, and will that impact your insurability? Will, you know, who is going to have that information? Where does it live? And, and you think about any of you who've done research, you know, I'm sure you've interacted with the IRB, you know, and our IRB wants to know what password protected computer is all of your anonymous PHI going to be, you know, <laughs> locked up on. And, you know, this, you're essentially giving a company your PHI to do with it what they will and to sell it to potentially third parties who are now going to advertise and tell you that you should go to Scotland or whatever your part, you know, whatever is. So I think it's just reading the fine print is really important, right? I mean, I sign off on iTunes all the time. I'm pretty sure, which is going to go away now, but I mean, I'm pretty sure I owe somebody a kidney at Apple at some point because I'm not reading all that fine print, right? But reading the fine print in, in that is really, I think, specifically important. As for patients, I think it's really important for them to see professional genetic counselors if they have a concern because I think there's an entirely different approach taken and it really is important if you think about somebody getting a test at home that tells them they have a risk for something that could be catastrophic is something that you want to make sure that they're being shepherded through that process in a way that people have information and scientific evidence, like Mike said. That was part two of our discussion on medicine's presence in entertainment and social media. I'm Todd Unger, and this is Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. To get exclusive AMA advocacy news and information impacting physicians, patients, and the healthcare environment, subscribe to the AMA Advocacy Update newsletter at ama-assn.org advocacy-update. You can also subscribe to Moving Medicine and other great AMA podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or visit ama-assn.org podcasts. Thank you for listening.